Well, thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast and these notes from the cutting room floor. Just a reminder, these are the things that we would love to talk about in sermons, but we just don't have the time to do so. If you want more information about us and what we're doing, parkhillschurch.com is the place to go or, you know, the app as well, Park Hills Church on any of the app stores. Mark, uh, everyone's favorite book of the Bible. Yes, Leviticus. Leviticus. It is a blast. I think there are at least a couple of members of my family that have said they are tired of reading the Bible at this point because Leviticus has drained them to the very bottom. So one of the things we talked about in Leviticus really ties back to what we, you know, the one of the themes that we did a couple of weeks ago, which is tabernacle, and this idea of God wanting to be with His people. You know, there's there's this thing of we have to approach God, which is a complicated thing, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. You know, it, it's so important for us to back away from our, our New Testament lens and how quickly we take for granted the fact that we can just at any point, even without closing our eyes or even out bending the knee, mm-hmm. we can just say, oh, Lord, you know, and, and address God in prayer in any circumstance with verbal or just in our head and we can approach God and and we do get to a point where we take that for granted because right. of what Christ did and because of our relationship with him but to go through Leviticus and see how complicated it was for this re- tabernacling relationship to work for God's holiness to be literally dropped down in the midst of Israel's filthiness. Mm-hmm. And boy, if just looking at these laws and restrictions and what must be done when people are unclean in all these different ways, it's like, wow. And I think it, it, at a minimum, it certainly does help us understand just how holy God is. But it, it certainly should help us desire to be clean, and and, and I, we got to be careful in saying that because we understand that that in Christ we are clean, and and what a beautiful thing. But imagine the pressure uh, upon these people to abide by these rules, to be people where God can dwell in their midst, and even in following all these things, they can't do it on their own. You know, they still can't make the cut. And we can understand why, but man, it's it's no simple thing, and it, and at a minimum, it should make us so grateful for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who has met the standards for us and has made it so we can approach a holy and a living God. Yeah, I think you did a good job of ending the sermon with that concept of reminding people. The reason why this feels archaic or why this doesn't seem to match how we live our lives today actually has more to do with Jesus than to do with anything else. And 
you know, I, I know a ton of people that struggle with, they read Leviticus and they go, we're not doing hardly any of these things. What's going on? And we're going to deal with some of that way later in the Bible reading story, because you're going to start to see in the book of Acts and elsewhere where the disciples even are starting to manage what do we follow and what don't we follow? What, yeah. you know, what, what did Christ do to make us holy? And then how do we then approach God with that holiness in mind? And some of the struggles that some people have, you know, I, I even got a question last week of, you know, how do we, which part of the holiness laws do we still do? You know, should you be trimming your beard? Should you be trimming this or that? And they're reading through Leviticus going, this doesn't jive with how we live or how we do things, uh, you know, various discharges of human body, you know, right. like, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? The, the truth is those questions have already been answered by the New Testament and then by the preceding discussions that the church fathers had. But we read it because we, we avoid Leviticus. We read it now for the first time, you know, perhaps when we go, we aren't doing any of this stuff. We're totally yeah. outside of God's will. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, God, God must think we're filthy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and he, we are, <laughs> but it's yeah. Jesus that his blood covering us changes our perspective and our, you know, our, our ability to approach God uh, altogether. Yeah. What the, are you going to say? The priestly laws, too, and just the demands on them. So intense, and obviously the the death of Nadab and Abihu is like whoa, you know, and it makes you wonder what what did they do so wrong, and or did they do it at the wrong time, or right. did they do it with the wrong spirit, or whatever. And so you certainly look at the intensity of that, but I think it's important important to look at the Levitical laws that have to do with how we treat one another. That seems to be a focus there, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it's. It's really surprising because I think we read Leviticus and we think these are all the boring laws, you know, sacrifices, all that kind of stuff about how to approach God. But if you were reading Leviticus and not falling asleep in it, which some of us might have fallen asleep while we read Leviticus, I totally understand. Hey, I need to know what yep. to do when my animal kicks your animal. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we got to stay focused, folks. But I, I don't know if you all noticed, but it's really interesting how much of Leviticus is actually more about how we treat our neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when Jesus says things later on, like you, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, this is the law. That everyone is marveling about Jesus' teaching, and then I've always, you know, pointed out to students or elsewhere that 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 comment actually is in Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Yeah. It says, "You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord," and everyone that I know that here's Jesus, they go, oh, that's so great. That's so amazing. And they try to separate Jesus from the Old Testament God, yeah. which is terrible theology, by the way. But then on top of that, they just go, well, Jesus is all about loving your neighbor. The Old Testament God's all about vengeance and hate. And it's like, whoa, that's, first of all, that's not even true. You've totally misunderstood the Old Testament. And second of all, the actual verse that Jesus is quoting is right here in the book that you don't like, Leviticus. And yeah. then you look at the rest of it and how to treat your spouse, how to treat this person, how to treat that person. Don't do child sacrifice. You know, things that we just take for granted, all that actually comes out of Leviticus. Even think of the Ten Commandments. You can't ignore that. And that's really what's being reiterated here in right. Leviticus 19. You should not steal. You're not, not going to oppress your neighbor. You're going to be fair with them. And, yeah, so much of that law is about that. Yeah, it's really – I find it amazing. And every time I read Leviticus now, I just I try to read it through that lens of how am I supposed to be loving my neighbor, because even one of the sacrifices is about like, if you didn't know you sinned against your neighbor, this is what you do. How cool is that? That mm-hmm. you, there's actually a system in place of me realizing, oh man, I cut down that, 
that bush that was on the property line, and I, I just found out the property line actually was a little further than I thought. That was actually my neighbor's bush. I, here's a payment to you. And we don't operate that way in today's world, and we, we probably should as Christians. So there's basically what I'm trying to say is there's really good value in Leviticus just starting to think through. If we're going to approach God, that means we're going to live a certain way and act a certain way. And that's what you were saying. That's complicated. For us to approach God is difficult. But it's also amazing how much approaching God also involves us loving each other well so that God doesn't judge us based on that. And I I don't know. That, that's It's really impactful to me and really interesting to me. Well, we get so much of our mor- morality from it too, just even the whole uncovering the nakedness of your relative's life or your father-in-law, all those kinds of things going, okay, this this is setting the boundaries of saying, no, these things are wrong and these things should not be done. And that's how we we get that. So it's it's important for us to understand these things, that some of the, especially some of the ones that still uh, play through and are, are directly ap- applicable to us now. Let's go back to that real quick, because remember we did the Genesis 9, yeah. and we kind of pointed that later on we're going to get to that. We got to Leviticus, and I was reading that passage just the other day as we were going through the reading plan, and I'm I'm going, it's pretty explicit to me now. Like, yeah. you, you make that connection between Genesis 9 and this idea of do not do this, this is your father's nakedness, do not do this, this is your father's nakedness. And I read that, and I'm like, I can't see this verses any other way at this point. Yeah, it's all Leviticus 18. It's, it's again, it's, you know... <laughs> one of his close relatives to uncover the nakedness and then uncover the nakedness that keeps come, going and then, and to realize, okay, this is uh, speaking a little bit more of just uh, someone being without clothes. It's it's going into their bed and taking what is theirs. Yeah, then you're not supposed to do that. So so we would say that part of the law, you, you should still obey yeah, that. Probably yeah, probably keep. Yeah, that part, don't start questioning <laughs> whether you should. Probably keep No, going. it's in the law. I don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. Do not get fond of your mother-in-law or your father-in-law. <laughs> you brought up Nadab and Abihu. That passage is so interesting to me. And, and I'm not qualified in any way to really speak into it. I just, I always love going back to it. And I always have asked this question, what is unauthorized fire before the Lord? Right? Yeah, no kidding. Or the, the King James always said it, strange fire. What is strange <laughs> fire? <laughs> you know? So is it, you know, the like I said, the ESV has unauthorized, which would suggest perhaps that it they were walking into the Holy of Holies or at least the outer space where they weren't supposed to be at that moment. And they just thought, I can just approach God whenever I want. It's all good. And then poof, burned up. Oh, you mean I'm not supposed to light those candles inside there? <laughs> Can you imagine if that was like Christmas Eve and, uh, you know, you light a candle and I light a candle and then we hand it to, you know, someone who's going to help light the candles and they walk down the aisle and they just fall down dead. And we're like, that was unauthorized fire, that, you know, strange fire. They brought it into the room. So Not so funny for them, but uh, it does speak to that holiness again. And totally. It's good for us to see God that way. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So one of the more interesting things that <laughs> I, I, I'm a little nervous about this as I'm nervous about lots of what we do in the podcast, because I, I don't know, I, I'm loving the feedback we're getting where tons of people are reaching out and saying, we really love this, really love this, really love this. And I, and I appreciate that. And so I'm glad that you're listening to this. However, there's these little nerd moments that happen that I just kind of go, here's what I, I kind of want to run down. And you look at me like, yeah, I think that's interesting. But by the I, way, those moments don't happen to me. They <laughs> happen to Chris. <laughs> There's, yeah, there's Mark just, doesn't have as many nerd moments as I have. There's not enough nerd in me, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You're so cool. I don't think anybody would ever think that yeah. there's that many nerd moments in you. But for me, you know, I lay awake at night. And this is I'm serious. I lay awake at night 
pondering passages. And one of the passages that really struck me years ago was in Numbers 3. And so you mentioned in the sermon, Levi being the priest. And you and that's actually where we get the book Leviticus. You mm-hmm. actually hear Levi or, you know, Levite in there. And I, so you mentioned, you know, they're the priests. They're the ones that have the right to a priest. But years ago, I remember studying this and going, that's really interesting. So why were the Levites priests? And it's a really interesting topic that I think will be interesting. But if, if none of you sound interested by that, you can just turn the rest of the podcast off. Deal? Exactly. That's, yeah. Turn it loose. Go. Go. All right. Here we go. Nerd moment. All right. So back in Exodus, you remember the, the, the Passover, it saved whom? Right? Saved the firstborn. Yeah. It specifically saved, I mean, it saved all the Israelites, but specifically the first, all the firstborn of Egypt, right? As the angel of death arrived and went, if there was a, if there was blood on the doorpost, those firstborn children were, were saved. And so you're reading that and you're thinking, okay, so God saved the firstborn, right? Or you might say God redeemed the firstborn or he, you know, he, he saved them from death. So they owe him. Right, and so I'm not going to give too much away, but where the sermon's going this week about love and and some of the direction we're going to head over the next few weeks is really what what following God is is a response to what He has done for you, and so if God saves the firstborn, they owe Him their lives, and so there's this tension that's being built in Exodus of the firstborn have been redeemed by God, how are they going to respond to God's goodness? And then there's another passage in, in Exodus that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks as well. It just says that I, I, my desire for you is that you are a nation of priests. And that nation of priests starts by those who have been saved through that Passover thing. So the, the, first, the first idea of who the priests would be or the representatives of God, that's really what a priest is. That's all they are. They are a representative of God, was that those who have been saved by God would be his representatives. And so the firstborn are these first representatives. However, as we mentioned, just a couple of chapters later, they, uh, as you pointed out, Aaron just throws some some gold in the fire and out comes this golden out comes calf. Gaff. The greatest excuse of all time. <laughs> There's a ton of debate about whether Aaron's lying there or not. And you might say, well, of course he's lying. You don't throw gold in the fire and just let it come out. There was actually an ancient practice where they would uh, carve like a wooden or stone figure and put it in the fire, and then they would dump gold on it, and then they would pull it out of the fire, and the gold would be molded around that thing. So it is possible that Aaron wasn't lying when he said, I threw the gold in, and this is what came out. However, what he's not mentioning there is, we carved it beforehand, and the golden calf was ready to go. <laughs> no, we don't know if that's how it went down or, or some other way, but anyway, there's a huge it debate about it. doesn't even matter, the fact that they were doing it, making an idol in the first place. Which is the real yeah. problem. Yeah. And because they're making an idol— you start to ask the question, who are the guilty parties? And so then Moses comes back down and he says, strap on a sword, all of you who are with me, let's, let's wipe the filth out from the camp. And the only people who strap a sword are, are all the Levites. They are Moses and Aaron's brethren, their, their family. So the Levites strap the swords on, they go through the camp, they start wiping out the people who are doing really disgusting practices. The golden calf situation is a we don't have time to get into it. It, it. it was more going on there than people realize, but we'll leave that aside and maybe we'll come back to it weeks later if somebody wants us to. But all that to say, now you've got a golden calf situation and you've got rebellion in the camp 
And God says, I, you know, I need people to be on my side. The Levites go through the camp and they annihilate whatever disgustingness was going on. Because of that moment, the Levites have earned themselves a place to be the representatives for God. So then we get into Numbers 3, which if you didn't like Leviticus, I will warn you. We're, you know, today's our first reading in Numbers as we're recording this. Numbers is way worse. <laughs> like Numbers is the one book of the Bible that I don't like just as much as First and Second Chronicles. Now, that's not to say that I don't read them and I don't appreciate them. I totally do. I'm just saying if, if you're asking me like, what book do you go back to and read a lot? Numbers is never on that list, right? <laughs> First and Second Chronicles, I, ver- I spend very little time going back and reading those over and over and over again. The ones I go back and read over and over again, ironically, has become like Leviticus, Psalms, and a couple of the New Testament books. But no, I just, n- Numbers, I, it drives me nuts. Anyway, so what happens in the beginning of Numbers, Numbers 3, is they begin to nail down who in the Levites are going to do what. And then what God does is this ceremony at the end of chapter 3 where all of the firstborn males of Israel, remember those who have been redeemed, those who have been saved by God, those that have been given a place to represent God, they have to bring in an offering and redeem the Levites. And so there are 22,273 males who are a month old and upward, uh, the firstborn males of all the tribe of Israel, and they bring in this gold. And then the redemption price of that compared to the Levites, who are 22,000. If you go back to verse 39, there are 22,000 Levites. God says that the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of, the, of Israel over and above the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels per head, you shall add them. Da, da, da. And the idea is God says in verse 40, 49, so Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above and those redeemed by the Levites. And so what he says is you have lost your right to be my representatives as the firstborn children. I bought you for a price and you refused to be what I'm asking you to be. The tribe of Levi stepped up in the moment that they they needed to. Like I needed somebody to step up for me. The tribe of Levi were the ones that did it. So firstborn, you owe the Levites. So you have to pay them they're covering a it. redemption price so that they can step into the role that you were supposed to have it's really crazy and it's really cool. And if you start looking at the storyline and you go, okay, and I'm just going to leave these little teasers here for you know months from now. But this idea of God wants representatives of him who are priests. If you don't step up to the task, he will redeem it in some other way. And there's going to be something going on where God is going to take his people and they are going to represent him one way or the other. Sometimes it's painful, like having to pay for a redemption price to let the Levites take your spot. But no matter what, God is going to do what he wants to do in the midst of his story. Imagine that, God doing what he wants to do. It's like he has control. <laughs> it's like he has a plan. It's like he knows what he's doing. Now, for the, those out there that aren't good at sarcasm, we are both being sarcastic there. Of course we believe <laughs> that God has a plan. No, it's cool to think about, though, that you know, God, in his infinite wisdom, works around our failures mm-hmm. and our shortcomings and still carries out his task. And he's, he's going to do it no matter what we do. And that's reassuring and also kind of scary at the same time. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening.